be seated. This is a time of remembrance, of both sorrow and of joy, a time to celebrate the life of my mother, Edith Beardsley, and what she did in her Christian witness of her life. And as Ecclesiastes says, a time to laugh and a time to cry. Both will occur. A time to mourn and a time to stop mourning. A time to work and a time not to work. This is a service in which there will be tears, both tears of sorrow and tears of joy. Edith did many things and will be remembered for her courage, her witness, and her voice. As we celebrate that life, let us remember that God blessed us with the gift of Edith. And although our sorrow is there and is real, let us remember that she is in heaven, united with those saints who have gone before, where we will all be united someday. Let us pray. O God, almighty and merciful one, the consolation of the sorrowful, the support of the weary, you do not willingly grieve or afflict the children of human beings, your creation. Look down in tender love and pity, we pray you, on your servants, this household, this church household, whose joy is turned to mourning. According to the multitude of your mercies, be pleased to uphold, strengthen, and comfort us, that we may not faint under the visitation, but find in you the strength and refuge through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. First, I'd like to read Psalm 121, then Psalm 23. Psalm 121, assurance of God's protection. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right side. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by light. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going in and your coming out. From this time on and forevermore. 23rd Psalm, the Divine Shepherd, the Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You will anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, 
Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Organized people put markers in Bibles before they begin. Disorganized people do not. I am sure my parents are up there laughing hysterically. (laughs) Organizational skills, if you remember my father, were not his strong point either. The reading from Thessalonians, from the first Thessalonians. Finally, brothers and sisters, I ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus Christ, you learn from us how you ought to live and please God as you are doing. You know what instructions you have been given. This is the will of God, your sanctification. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who have died. For the Lord himself, with a cry of command, with the archangel's call and with the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive who are left will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is the word of the Lord words of Jesus from the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The day Mother died, I stopped in the hospital chapel to cry and to mourn and to grieve. And lying on the chair in a pew, was the Roman Catholic Missal open for the day of March 7th. And the celebration for that day was the celebration of faithful women. Two particular saints were mentioned whose names I do not remember, but I thought it was somehow appropriate on the day Mother went to heaven was a day that faithful women were celebrated in the liturgy of our brothers and sisters in the Catholic tradition. Faithful women, the Bible is full of them. They do many things. Sometimes Christianity is accused of being unfair to women and being paternalistic, patristic, ignoring women, and so forth. 
when we read the scriptures, we find that although, yes, there is plenty of the male in there, there are also plenty of stories of faithful women. The faithful women who kept the fledgling church going with their money and their social position. The ones that paid for the church and paid for Paul out of some of their own funds. The women who are named that took in some of the persons who were traveling. There are women named and women unnamed. The famous Marys, of course, the women at the cross, the women who were preparing to prepare the body for burial when everyone else had fled. And, of course, the first to witness the resurrection and be told about it were not the disciples, but women. Women have always played a great role in the church and always will. Sometimes the women are sort of relegated to the back, and our work is sometimes not the great spectacular work of some of the other saints of the church, but without it, some of that great spectacular work could not be done. Think of all the generations of women who supported the missionaries with their work and their labor. Think of who started the Foreign Missionary Board in many cases. Think of who raised the money to send persons abroad. Think of who, quite frankly, keeps many churches moving. When I was first ordained, I was told, pre-ordination actually, in a church organization class, I was informed by the professor very firmly, you can mess with any organization in the church whatsoever, but don't touch the woman's group. Whatever you young pastors do, don't ever touch the woman's group. And I see some nods from other clergy down there. That says something about the strength of women. God does not discriminate. Sometimes our human tendency is to decide that one sex is superior to another, that women can only do this, that, or the other thing, and cannot do others. Edith challenged some of that. As a child, I grew up, of course, in a theological family, being, of course, a theological offspring of a theological offspring of a theological offspring. Uh, is that, is that uh, times four? Is that Well, whatever, you mathematicians out there, you figure it out. And very often we would have dinner table discussions. I remember coming home from Sunday school when I was about five or six and informing my parents that heaven was a place where the streets were paved with gold. Well, my parents looked at me and said, well, that's an interesting picture. Is that really what you think heaven is? And I thought about it. Mind you, this is age six. Well, uh, that's what uh, the teacher said, to which my parents' response, particularly my mother's, well, why do you think your teacher said that? Hmm. Because that's what she was taught? said this smart six-year-old. Well, why was she taught that? And you can see how the discussion went on, pushing the bounds of faith. And this is something that our family tradition has done, forcing us to look at the scriptures and look at what they say and examine what we believe they say and find out if that is really scriptural or if it's traditional or if it's just something we've been taught. 
Edith and John, were not good at simply accepting what was taught. The accepted was often not good enough. And we would look at the scriptures, and we would examine them together, and we would wrestle with them, and we would think about them. Exactly what does it mean? One of our family discussions involved, one of many family discussions involving what heaven is. We were trying to figure out, is heaven this picture that you get in your little Sunday school pictures that you may have had many years ago of bright angels? Is heaven the place where the littlest angel had trouble keeping his halo on and had to explain to God that he really wanted his little box of treasures? Exactly what is heaven and what does it mean to be joined to those who have gone before? And what do some of those strange scriptures about resurrection mean? Do we really have to wait for the end of the world for all the dead to be resurrected, as one text seems to imply? Or do the dead go immediately? We interpreted it not to mean that you had to wait, that heaven was not a place you waited to go to, you went. We still, of course, are not sure what heaven is. Our family was better at defining what heaven is not. And one of the things that we concluded long ago is that when the body is resurrected in whatever form it takes, it is not going to take the form that it has now. We will not need the eyeglasses and the hearing aids and the walkers and the rascal and the canes and all of those aids that we now use, many of us. Whatever the resurrected body is, it will be perfect in whatever form God has created it. We don't know what that form is, and we don't need to know. We just need to believe. We need to hold fast to that belief that there is a resurrection of the dead, that there is a life after this, that those who have gone before will be in some form united with us. Another theological issue that we wrestled with at the dinner table was whether those in heaven can actually look down and see us. We never came to a firm conclusion. Some days we decide, yes, they can, and other days we decided that God spared them from seeing some of the disgusting things that are going on in the world. We were never able to answer the question, and we're not even supposed to be able to answer the question. There are mysteries, and one of the mysteries is the mystery of the resurrection. It is not for us to understand all of what goes on after death. It is for us to believe, to believe that indeed there is life after death, that although the earthly presence is gone, they will live on in memory and through their works. Although there is a time for sorrow and a time for crying, and there's no limit to that. I've already found that out. The other morning I was washing dishes and there was mother's coffee cup and that set me off. And yesterday, putting the Easter eggs on my cane, getting out the box that had the Easter things in it, there were the things that would have been on her rascal and her walker. And that set me off. And I keep reminding myself, that's all right. You can grieve. But do not let that grief be the end of things. Certainly grieve. Certainly cry. Certainly do not be ashamed but just hold fast to that faith 
and to that mystery of the resurrection. Don't try and intellectualize it and figure it all out. That's, there are mysteries that we don't. And that is, I think, one of the joys of Christianity, that there are those parts where our faith comes up against something we simply cannot explain. It's inexplicable, and it's just our, not just, it is our faith. We believe. It is important for us to hold to that. I have no idea what kind of relations there are in heaven. There are sort of hints, of course, the story of whose husband and other such hints that the relations in heaven, according to that, will not be what they are on earth. And we could certainly see that. Given the family relations on earth, we can just imagine how complicated they would get in heaven. What do you do with these multiple marriages? I mean, with Elizabeth Taylor and her multiple husbands. (laughs) Who would she be with in heaven? All of them? (laughs) But fortunately, that's not our business to figure out. That's up to God. Whatever form the resurrected body and heaven takes. Another of the discussions that we had may sound almost sacrilegious and silly, but it isn't. We had long discussions about whether only humans were in heaven and came to the conclusion that it couldn't possibly be heaven without our animal friends. I have a vision up there of mother and her special cat, Mittens, with Mittens sitting on her lap, purring the way he would do. Mittens was her cat, a big gray coon cat. And from the very beginning, he was her cat. And I am sure that somehow they are reunited in some way. How? I don't know. I don't need to know. But heaven is a place where there are no tears, there is no infirmity, where our worn-out bodies are made into whatever God makes them into, in whatever form they are. There are those who believe that, that the heavenly body is merely a spirit that unites somehow with God's spirit. There are other theories, but they're all theories because nobody has really come back to tell us. Mother did have a near-death experience when in the 50s. I was about six years old at the time. She had major surgery. There was a really major problem. Her heart stopped in the operating room. They could not get her heart started. And the surgeon sent the nurse out to tell my dad that she was gone. They had stopped resuscitation. Her heart spontaneously started. She came home from the hospital and told us that she had been to heaven, had seen the angel choir, had heard them sing, and was told that it was time for her to go back. She was still needed on earth. She had a little daughter then who needed her. She had a husband who needed her. I cherish that, that God allowed me and my father to have her for so many more years after that. But the time came when, although it's not true to say I no longer needed her, I didn't need her in the way I needed her when I was six years old. I am an adult. It is time for me to pick up the mantle, which is one reason that I'm here. Elijah's mantle, although sometimes I doubt it, is over me cast. When Dad died, Mother and I were both in the room. We had tried to stay awake. Both of us fell asleep, and that's when he went. And I expressed to the pastor then that I had this horrible fear that I was going to 
miss the mantle because I had not seen Dad go and had to be reassured that that was a special situation, a special test for that particular prophet and not for everyone else. And that just because you didn't see your father leave, you don't not inherit the mantle. I have inherited a great witness, and I intend to carry it on. I am thankful that God allowed her to come back those many years ago. A part of me is thankful that she is now free of what were we beginning to see was the infirmities that come with being 92 years old. She was spared the indign- some of the indignities that do come often with age. She still had her mind. She could still work her puzzles, a little more slowly than usual, but she could still work her puzzles. She still knew who she was. She knew who I was. She knew who the cats were. She knew where she was, and she knew when and where we went on vacation. So she was still able. When the EMTs came to work with her, they asked her who she is, and her response was, me. Well, the EMTs looked at me like, obviously this woman is out of her mind. She doesn't know who she is. And I said, that's exactly how she answered. You asked her a stupid question. She is going to give you a stupid answer. And that, too, she often had little patience with total stupidity, mine included. Do you think I got much sympathy when I got hurt showing off behind a water skiing boat? Think again. Basically, what was said was, you idiot. Couldn't you have been more careful? (laughs) Incidentally, I deserve to be called an idiot on that one. But anyway, there is a time for grief. There is a time for sorrow. And there is also a time to go on. This morning, I preached at another church. Some of that church were surprised. I said to them, had I not carried out this responsibility, Mother would have appeared at the doors of heaven and thrown something at me. We do our duty. We honor the dead by carrying on what we are supposed to do. Edith gave us a great legacy of a Christian woman. She's carried on in the tradition of those great women of the Bible who did great things. Let us remember that and let us in our lives continue to carry on the work that is done, the work of justice, and of God's peace. Thanks be to God who gives us the mystery of the resurrection and the hope of life that is coming. Amen. Let us sing hymn number 525, Here I Am, Lord.
Let us together with Christians throughout the ages and through the world affirm our faith together with the affirmation that is written in the bulletin. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. Third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Be seated. I also think of the words of the Heidelberg Catechism. To whom do I belong in life and in death? I wholly belong to my God. And find those words comforting, both to think of mother in God's hands and myself at this time. It wasn't long after our family moved to New Brunswick in 1993 that I met Edith Beardsley. I had undertaken a research project, hoping to write a biography of Edith's late mother-in-law, Frances Beardsley. Little did I know then what a happy adventure that would turn out to be. Over the course of my research, I came to know and to love the Beardsley family. And I'm grateful to be asked to say a few words in honor of Edith. Edith was born in China to missionary parents. The gospel message and the church remain the context of all 92 years of Edith's life. At Westminster Choir College, Edith's vocal and keyboard skills received training, and for all of Edith's life, she would use these musical skills in the mission of the church wherever she lived. In 1942, Edith married John Beardsley. She loved John, and she loved her role as minister's wife. Soon after they moved to Pella, Iowa in 1951, their family grew with the birth of a daughter, Nancy. Nancy would become the light of their lives. Throughout Edith and John's long lives, Nancy's drive to overcome numerous disabilities brought great inspiration and pleasure to them, not to mention immense pride in Nancy's accomplishments. In 1994, after calling Pella home for 13 years, it must have been difficult for John, and for Edith especially, to leave their friends and move to New Brunswick. For the remainder of Edith's life, her home, the seminary community, the congregation of this church, and Robert Wood Johnson Hospital, where she regularly volunteered, served as the focus 
of Edith's energy and interest. One must remember that in New Brunswick, her family included her mother-in-law and father-in-law. Being an outlaw, as they say, was never easy for Edith. Her mother-in-law and father-in-law were a monumental presence here. Edith's contributions to the Travelers Club, the League of Women Voters, and the Seminary's Women's Auxiliary, as well as Second Reformed Church organizations, were all made in the shadow of her mother-in-law, who also held membership in these same groups. But Edith found her own niche. Many of us remember Edith's role in advocating for the ordination of women in the Reformed Church in 1969. This was an especially tense time in the life of the denomination. Under Edith's direction, and Edith wasn't alone in this effort, an ad hoc committee of women was formed called WERCA, W-E-R-C-A, Women for Equality in the RCA. Armed only with typewriters and paper, computers hadn't yet uh, become an ordinary thing, this ambitious group of mostly Eastern RCA church women reached out to their church sisters in the Midwest. They collected about 1,600 signatures on petitions that they delivered to the General Synod in 1969. Although protest marches had become quite common within the political experience of the time, who but Edith and her circle of friends would have thought to stage a protest march at General Synod. And even, and she even convinced her mother-in-law to be a highly visible participant. After the march, Edith wrote to a friend, although the specter of disunity and dissolution has been raised and has frightened many people, most of us feel that this is no time to hide controversies. Disunity results more from the refusal to accept change than from open discussion of differences of opinion. And real controversies, as you know, are not ended by pretending they don't exist. So our ad hoc committee here plans to keep up the pressure. Being quiet and well-behaved has not changed anything. So why go on being passive? At the same time, resistance to the war in Vietnam was passionate. A group of seminarians sought to hand over their draft cards to the General Synod. The Synod refused to accept them. So instead, the young men turned over their draft cards to a self-appointed committee that included Edith and John. In this same letter to a friend, Edith wrote, the New Brunswick Press is giving the whole thing the silent treatment, but a Newark paper ran an account of the matter without names. We did discuss it at the hospital snack bar where I am one of the volunteers. No hostility was shown. 
and the other workers, all Catholic, say they'll bring me a cake if I go to jail. We are not heroes and do not expect trouble. We feel that after years of urging people to put conscience first, the least to be expected of us is a gesture of support to some who do. The process of getting older wasn't easy for Edith. Her long-standing back problems grew worse with each advancing year. Walking with her elaborately decorated cane gave way in time to dependence on a wheelchair and to rascal her motorized scooter. Even so, Edith would not give up her annual visits to the Beersley family cottage in Gloucester. But the last few visits were a challenge, even with Nancy's ever-ready assistance. Along with all whose lives were touched by Edith's presence, we give thanks that she is now released from her bodily pain. To Edith, go her Lord's commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. The bulletin for Dad's service had the word servant gladly on the front cover, and that too was Mother, a servant who gladly served. We are thankful for that. I would not be here were it not for Worka and for that demonstration. Not a violent one, not a noisy one, but a very visible one. We stood on the bridge. If you know the Douglas campus, there's a bridge to get from parts from part A to part B. And the women lined that bridge, and so whenever the delegates had to go from one spot to another, they passed the women. The women stood in the back of the dining hall so that when the men went in for their dinners and their meals, there were the women. It got the message across. Thanks be to God for that. Let us pray. Eternal and ever-merciful God, whose blessed Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, has triumphed over sin and death and the grave. We praise and bless your name for the life and immortality which have been brought to light in the gospel. We glorify you that he, having destroyed the power of death, opened the kingdom of heaven to all believers, and that because he lives, we shall live also. Even now, having peace with you through him, we rejoice in the hope of your glory. Thanks be to you, O God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Father of mercies and God of all comfort, look in your tender love and pity, we pray you, on the sorrowing servants. Enable us to find in you refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Grant us faith and hope in him who by death has conquered death, and by rising again has opened the gates of eternal life, even Jesus Christ our Lord. Ever blessed God, we give you thanks for all the generations of the faithful who, having served you here in godliness and love, are now with you in glory. We praise you especially for her whom you have now taken to yourself, this pilgrim now come to the heavenly city. For all your loving kindness toward her throughout her earthly life, we give you thanks for all that she was, by nature and by grace, to those who loved her and to the church of your dear Son. We thank you that her trials and temptations are ended, 
Sickness and death is past. She has now entered into the rest that remains for your people. Seeing that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, enable us, O God, to lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us closely and to run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Keep us in unbroken fellowship with the church in heaven. Enrich our souls in those things over which darkness and death no longer have any dominion. And bring us at last with all the faithful in Christ to the eternal peace and joy of thy presence. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we are bold to pray the prayer that you taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us sing hymn number 85, What Wondrous Love Is This. I'm sure Edith is singing with that heavenly choir, and perhaps her voice, too, is saying to someone, this is what your future will be, but now it's time for you to do something else. I cannot imagine Edith in heaven without music of some kind. We're all invited to reception 
in the parlor located in Demarest Hall through either of those doors. Now the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do God's will, working in you that which is pleasing in God's sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, and the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be and abide with you always. Amen. Amen.